Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Well, hello, friend. I lost you last week. You lost me. Did oh, you, because I was the podcast. It was me by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't listened yet. I'm telling you. If anybody sees Christy, tell her I'm looking for. Tell, tell her. <laughs> no, I haven't. No, I've been so off the grid. So, which we talked about is a good thing. Unless you don't know you're going to be off the grid and then it's a bit anxiety provoking. So, well, it looks like uh spirit world was really fun. Yeah. It was a great day. It was cold. It looks like it was cold. It was 27. I think Ooh, that's pretty cold down there. Eh? It was cold. I mean, it warmed up nicely and, but it's, it was cold. So yeah. Yep. And I helped with all the reg. Did you ride? No, I rode on the back uh, on the back of the moto with Tim. Oh, and I saw your picture with your little fantastic. That looks real, yeah. like it was really fun. It was actually really fun. So, I also saw that Heidi's pregnant. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, she's due at the end of December, beginning of January. So That's... we're yeah. I, probably when I saw her unbound, she might not have been telling people that yet. Then. She wasn't telling people then. No. Yeah. And that's no, the last time was... I saw her, but I was reading her little story about how they tried for years and years and they were told they would never be able to have a baby. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. They're, they got their puppy. And then she got pregnant. <laughs> and big sky is a handful. Their dog. I'm like, Oh, it's but, cute though. Yeah. He's <laughs> cute. He's cute. Well, there's lots of exciting things happening down in Patagonia. It is lots of things. Lots of things. So what's new in your world? Well, outspoken, which will be over by the time it comes out. But yeah, that's basically what I've been doing for six days straight. And oh, also we're opening the gravel festival on the 17th. So nice. Also been getting that ready. Um, so yeah, I've gotten to the point where when somebody emails me about something, I'm like, will you just email me again next week? There's no way I'm going to remember this. <laughs> Good plan. So if you've emailed me, 
in the last two weeks, just email me next week. It's not because I don't like you. I'm just like super underwater. That it's all good. I don't know. Cool. I'll be done. Two more things. And then Sarah said, do you want to come to Victoria to do some work over Thanksgiving? And I was like, no, no, <laughs> I want to sit around and eat food and take naps over Thanksgiving. Perfect. Do it. Do. Yeah. Okay. I approve. Um, will you be down there still for Thanksgiving? Um, yet to be determined, but the plan is yes, we could pivot off of that. So just seeing how things shake up with the, with the big family, you know? Yeah. But yeah. So we'll see. Well, um, I really enjoyed our conversation for this week. We had Elizabeth Allen, Liz Allen. Yes. But if you talk to her mom, it's Elizabeth. Elizabeth Allen. She was at a gravel festival and she, uh, was one of our scholarship recipients at the gravel festival. She came down and she, uh, she, she actually was at our uh, women's performance summit. She spoke and she talked about one of a really horrible experience. She had mountain biking that, and it really like that story has just stayed with me. She tells it again in the podcast. Uh, but she just talks to us a lot about some of the experiences that she's had as a black woman in the outdoors and um, where we, where she thinks we can go um, from here. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I got a lot out of it. I'm going to go on to the podcast because she's giving me a look like I am like somebody just showed up at the door. So yes, but I'm excited for everybody to hear this too. Elizabeth's awesome. Okay. Well, you get the door and we're going to go on to the podcast with Elizabeth Allen. Thanks. To live your healthiest life possible. You need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com slash feisty. <laughs> oh my gosh. Button. I know we yeah. were just like starting to have this great conversation. I was like, no, stop. <laughs> Quick. Don't talk about it. Don't talk, talk about it. We've got to get Elizabeth on here. Because Christy and I were bitching about some things and Elizabeth came back from getting her water. <laughs> Starting to say really great things. Um, okay. Wait, Elizabeth, do you have wine or water? Water. Water. I just put some stuff in it to flavor it a little bit. That's okay. Say, in a wine glass. In the wine because this could be a whole different it, conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is in a wine glass. I actually don't drink just for no reason other than the fact that I, I don't, but I appreciate a good wine glass or 
you know, whatever. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> and in cycling, you get surrounded by a lot of craft beer. So, you know, hey, I'm always the person that can drive you home. So think about it that way. I love it. Um, Awesome. Okay. Well, we have Elizabeth Allen on the podcast today and Elizabeth's done all kinds of things in cycling. She was at a gravel festival. Um, I met you originally through Celine, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and you do all kinds of things in outdoors, not just cycling, but maybe give us a little of your background and your love of outdoors and cycling specifically. Sure. Um, so yes, name is Elizabeth Allen. I come from the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania and um, definitely an avid outdoors person professionally. I do organizational development, so handle things like training and student internships for people who are in the helping professions. Uh, work for a rather large nonprofit, and but in my free time, I love being outdoors. And so I'm an avid hiker, in um, August, I had an opportunity to see my 50th state by visiting Alaska, which wow. was super exciting. Been a cyclist for as long as I can remember, love hiking, outdoor climbing. And then in addition to all that, I also love doing social media for gravel events. I have a YouTube channel called Turtle Wandering, which is about me as a plus size person of color, enjoying the outdoors and kind of telling people to come along with me. So I stay busy and I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you're living your best life. That's the best. I'm trying life. to. Absolutely trying to. Do you have a favorite state from your 50 state visits? Uh, Hawaii. And uh, I did that. I did that as a 50th birthday present to myself. And interestingly enough, because of the timing, I that was in late January of 2020. I came home mid February, and then we all know what happened about four weeks later. So, how how was Alaska? Amazing, beautiful. Yeah. Um, I I don't think I was prepared for just how gorgeous it was, and it's definitely a place I want to go back to because it's so vast. I saw such a small part of it. Basically, I saw Anchorage, Denali, and Seward because I like to spend time in a place. Like, I don't want to do like a short day here. So I only saw a very small part. So I would love to go back and explore more and learn more and even learn about more of the indigenous cultures. You know, I had an opportunity to do a little bit of that and see some museums, but just really understand more of that that background and the history of it and then even as the challenges they face because i do know that while they're united states citizens they many of them in some of these villages live in abject poverty and so i'd love to learn expand more and possibly even give service towards towards some folks when did you i mean i'm super curious about this because i've always wanted to try to hit all 50 states when did you decide to make that like a a goal I decided I really wanted to see more of the U.S. around the time I was 25. I was between jobs. So it was right before I started working with kids and realizing that's what I wanted to do and wanted to travel and then met a coworker that said that she wanted to see all 50 states by 50. And I was like, that's a pretty good goal. And so I kind of adopted it. And, um, you know, it took me to 52 to see all 50. But that was originally kind of the damn pandemic. Well, yeah, but I guess part of it was that when a lot of folks talk about traveling, they talk about going overseas, which is amazing, but we have such a beautiful country with its own 
cultures within even our our country. And so I wanted to see more of that. I had, you know, certainly come from being privileged when I was younger to be able to do some traveling with my family, my parents. My parents are actually from the South. But I wanted to see more and just kind of check it all out. And I think that's what I've enjoyed the most about it is the fact that it's allowed me to see the different cultures that we have in the United States, you know, even everything down to even architecture and how houses look very different depending on where you are and, you know, what is the food and even silly things like what are the fast food restaurants? So are you team In-N-Out Burger or team Whataburger or, you know, things of, of that nature. I still, you know, wait to check out a Bucky's cause I've, you know, heard wonderful things about them, but yeah, that's just kind of where it all, it came from. And I still love to be able to, to do that. Cause while I've seen all 50 States, there's a lot to see in each of those States. So now I'm kind of making the list of what do I want to go back to in addition to seeing some things overseas. Yeah. There's so much to see. I mean, you're right in like our country. And then every time I see another YouTube video or something, I'm like, at that, I need like to inherit a lot of money or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not easy to do on a nonprofit social worker salary. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of saving involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, when you were at our Women's Performance Summit, you you shared a story that really had a, a big impact on me um, about some of the experiences that you had in the mountain bike community and how you didn't feel like you belonged. And I would love it if you would share that with our audience, um, like kind of how you got into mountain biking and then, yeah. you know, what took you out of racing mountain biking? Sure. So the mountain biking piece was, I loved being in the woods. That was something that had always brought me a level of, of joy and solace. And I started hiking and then I was like, you know, I think I want to get back into biking. Cause you know, I'd ridden a bike as a kid. My father had been an avid road cyclist in the seventies and but I always wanted dirt and he wouldn't get me a BMX bike because he said a real bike had gears. But when I was 12 and I needed a new bike, he bought me actually the very first Schwinn that came out as a mountain bike because it kind of checked both boxes for for everybody. And I got then a little bit older and decided I kind of wanted to get back into mountain biking and wanted to get in the dirt and and everything else. So originally it was just kind of riding. And then I was like, I want to travel with my bike. And so that's actually where the racing part started. So I used to joke that I wasn't racing. I was paying a race fee to travel to, with my bike. And so that's what I was doing kind of along the, the, the East coast. And I wasn't fast. I mean, oftentimes when I first started, my goal was just not to be DFL because I was, I wasn't fast. I was morbidly obese I'm still not small now, but I was much bigger even then. And so it was just me getting out there and just doing it and doing something different. And so that's kind of where it it's, it started for me. And then not for nothing, when you're the only black woman out on the courses after a while, people start realizing who you are. So they start recognizing you. So, you know, more and more people would say to me, Hey, I keep seeing you at every race. You know, my name is so-and-so what's your name. And so then folks started knowing like, Oh, that's, that's Liz. And that's what she, she does. And she races and, and everything. And it was fun until it wasn't, you know, I did it for a couple of years. And then part of what happened was I hit the point where I had to do a mandatory upgrade. It was the only fair thing to do. 
And I was fine with that. But it meant that I was going to be out on those courses even longer. And unfortunately, when you hit that mid range, which if you're talking about you, um, USAC stuff, like you're talking like cat two level, they didn't weren't actually doing that in my league, but that's kind of where it equates to is that you've got a lot of, unfortunately, guys that are cat twos that are wannabe cat ones. And so they really put a lot of extra stock into it. And somehow if they get slowed up by anyone and anything for even three seconds there, they get very, very upset. And so it was the beginning race of that season. And it's a course I knew very well, but I didn't know how to do two laps of it. So I was really trying to be careful with my pacing. And we were into the second lap and I heard somebody ring behind me. And then they were like rider back and I'm very good at getting past. Cause again, I was slow. So I learned how to get past, like it was my job. And, but I just needed a clear path to be able to do that. I just needed a place to swing my bike up and over. And I would say maybe 30 seconds had passed because I was just looking up the trail, saw a good spot, swung up higher so that he could pass me. And then I saw him come parallel to me and I was figuring he would just kind of say, hey, thanks, or have a good race, or, or something, some sort of a pleasantry, and am I at the curse on the podcast? Okay, just double-checking. Um, all of a sudden, he yells, get the fuck off the course, I'm fucking racing here, and then he keeps off, goes, and so that's what ended up happening, and after that race, I quit. I was like, it's not fun anymore, and that was the end of it. I did report him, and I reported him to the league, and so my understanding is somebody spoke to him and it turned out one of my friends happened to also be friends with the mechanic at the bike shop that he was racing for. So I can only imagine what that conversation must've been like, but it just wasn't worth the time, the effort, the money to get screamed at. So I was like, you know what? I can just ride my bike other places. Yeah. That's the wrong person quitting. <laughs> I mean, I totally get it, but you know, yeah. you hear that and you're like, mm. yeah, I could see the look on Christy's face and she never heard the story. And I was like, this is going to piss her off. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pathetic. I mean, honestly, like, like that dude, his life just must suck. That must be what it is, is like, there's I no think, other yeah. reason because he must that, be miserable. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot to women in sport and then I can imagine people of color in sport or people that don't feel like they typically mm -hmm. belong in a sport like you just have a bad interaction you're like well that proves it I don't belong here or this isn't fun or why would I come here put myself out if I'm going to be treated like this and so then it like takes it further and further away from creating a space where people feel like they belong yeah it's also happened with kids too unfortunately because that same series they do an event at the beginning of the year it's it's a relay and i mean costumes are encouraged so it's it's supposed to be a lot of fun but it's a way to get the teams out there and um just to have a good time and the season before i had gotten some juniors on our team and some of the folks were like really mean because i mean i had one of our kids she was 10 and she came through the, the start finish area and her eyes were huge. And she looked at her mom and said, mommy, be really careful. They're being mean out there. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, what is going on? You know, so literally like when the next one of our juniors went out, I rode with them and followed behind literally just to protect her. 
and was like, so help me God, if one person yells one thing at them, because I was just waiting Ready. for it. Yeah. yeah I would have. <laughs> Mama bear. <laughs> <laughs> Some, something. I'm the perennial auntie. And so yeah. I get, yeah. And I will get medieval on people if, if I need to, because it's just, there's just no reason for it. Have you, uh, so you, I think you probably got into gravel cycling a little bit after that or mm-hmm. yeah, obviously I you have right. tons of right, but roads up there in Pennsylvania. Yeah, we have beautiful roads here. And so as I was mountain biking, I'd gotten a road bike probably about four years after I started mountain biking just to build up my endurance. Because, you know, it's like I would do five miles in the mountain bike and I would be spent. I was like, I should get a road bike. So I got an entry level road bike. And all of a sudden then I could do 10, 15, 20 miles and really enjoyed, discovered that I actually enjoyed endurance riding tremendously. And then there's a big cross scene around here, too. So I had had an opportunity to get a cross bike for a little while. I was like oh, and you can take this on all these other dirt roads. And so that was kind of my introduction into it. And it's like the bike was actually a, a loner. And then ironically, Selene is what saved my season that year because I had to get the bike back. And she was like, I've got another bike. I mean, I've got to take some parts off of it, but you can have the rest of it. And then some other buddies, like literally within a day, gave me everything else I needed which was cool, which is the community part and the belonging part is the fact that, yeah, literally I put a post on Facebook and was like, Hey, somebody was generous enough to owe me a bike, but I need brakes, this and this, it was like three parts. And within an hour, folks were like, I got you. I got you. I got you. And like literally a friend handed me a bag of brakes and said, take whichever ones you need. And then just pass on the rest to somebody else who needs them. That's awesome. You know, and so that was, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. And so I was able to do that. And so then that's kind of what got me into the gravel. Cause I realized that it was the dirt I loved of mountain biking, but it was with, but without beating up my body the same way that mountain biking was, but I also got the endurance of the road. And so then that just kind of became my, my thing. And I just got hooked and we just, you know, we have some great gravel events here, like unpaid, but prior to that monkey knife fight, I love that monkey knife fight. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a charity event that uh, raises money for a bigger event that um, that we do called the uh, Pennsylvania Perimeter Ride Against Cancer, and so it's raising money for cancer and also for uh, wishes for terminally ill kids, and so that's the goal of Monkey Knife Fight and you know Lou Lackawaka Hundo and a couple others. They've all got great names, and so those <laughs> became like my 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 thing. It was like I was all about the spring gravel classics here in, in Pennsylvania. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like Pennsylvania is its own little island up there with all these cool events that they don't. They're like it's fine if you don't come to them. Like they're just our thing. <laughs> like they don't get promoted outside of Pennsylvania. But everybody's like, I did this amazing event in Pennsylvania. Unpaved was a blast. I I loved it. Yeah, um, I did that with my husband. Oh God. When was that? 20. When was the first one? Liz? I think 2018. So then it would have been 2019. Was it that long ago? Yeah, probably. It was the second year. Yeah. yeah so that sounds right. Yeah. Um, and we camped in a little parking lot down there near the start line back behind the, uh, 
activity center place. I can see that. Yeah. Behind the Miller Center. Yeah. I can see yeah, that totally. Behind yeah. the Miller Center. It was mm-hmm. so much fun. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a blast. Great race. Great course. Mm-hmm. That little back loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really glad I did it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been exciting seeing the growth of, of unpaved. Um, you know, they were able to successfully do it in 2020. They did kind of a different format, but were able to have a small, much smaller field and keep it spread out and keep everybody safe. And, you know, which was a beautiful thing. And then kind of bring everybody back together. But it also even shaped how the event runs now, because like the rolling start now is a thing where they're like, here's the bucket and you roll out whenever. So they don't do the big mass start that some of the other bigger events do you pick based on how long you think it's going to take for you to to get out there so folks start leaving as early as you know like 7 a.m but then some of your more competitive racers are going to maybe wait till like nine o'clock so they can you know have a a respectable cup of coffee first or or whatever um <laughs> that would definitely also, be me yeah. i was like i want to have the cup of coffee but also be fast <laughs> well they they do both but it also now does seg- it's also all segment timing so the race is based on segments now yeah i think i remember seeing that they did that yeah yeah and so the beauty is then you've got you know some of your your pros that are actually then able to spend time and talk with just the everyday rider that this finishing the event is their challenge and they get to talk and they're like, you know, I got to hang out with, because they're not trying to blow it all out and because it's not a segment and then they can actually enjoy the the rest stop. So when they have the rest stop that has fried pierogies and fresh bacon, if they want to, they can also. That was the best part. Like having, Mm -hmm. like having bacon. Oh oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was cold. (laughs) So it was like, it was warm. I was like, this is awesome. I don't want to leave. <laughs> Clearly you need to come back, Christy. Oh, I do. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, it's 2023. We got you. Planning yeah. it in. 2023. Yeah. I keep telling Celine I'm going to come to it. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll make it a 2023 road trip. It, you, it's you have so to. Fun. And it's beautiful. I mean, it was just gorgeous. The trees, it was perfect. When I, when I didn't like that backward, but I would still do. I mean, it was like one of those type two fun for sure. It was like super super technical (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i was like i need a mountain bike for that part but it was i mean it was what was really cool about it yeah yep yep yeah i was there when they had the chase at it yep that was the last i think that was the last year because then the chase was was retired retired yeah well one of the things when we were talking about you being on the podcast that i was was curious about because i know you've done a lot of work um with diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and that, mm-hmm. and and bringing more uh, people of color into the outdoors, is how's gravel doing, and what can we improve on? Or I don't know. I I don't. I know you. I'm not putting you as the expert of experts, but I love like your. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Liz says, but um, but no, I think you've got a lot of wisdom, and you see a lot of things um within the space. And as we were talking right before we hit record, you know even with the women's conversation, sometimes mm-hmm. we're like, check Mark, we did that. And then we're like, and why did nobody cover the women's field at that event last weekend? Right. Um, you know, so I think like, it's good to check in and go, if our goal is really to make gravel a space where people feel welcome, mm-hmm. no matter who they are, like, where can we, where can we continue to grow? Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, 
appreciate that that framework. And and that's the thing is I look at this first off. Let me say I look at it, all this from a very intersectional lens. So it's not just for people of color. Obviously, I'm passionate for that as a person of color, but also for women, also for the trans community, even just the overarching LGBT community, making sure they feel good as a larger woman, as a plus size person. You know, so how do we take a sport that has traditionally been known for being having a type, so to speak, and making it wider and more inclusive so that more people can can enjoy it? Because, you know, you hear all the time, it's like, oh, I, I can't do that or I would never go and do that ride or that event because I'm too fat, I'm too slow, I'm too this, I'm too that. Um, black people don't go in the woods. Like you you name whatever it, it is. Um, so that being said, how is gravel doing? It's making progress. However, I think we're still in the tokenism stage of things. In that it's very easy still to be able to know who everybody is of color at an event because there's so few. Um, you know, some of the, even the personalities that are out there, it's like you're seeing them repeatedly and they are kind of the representation for those events. And they're all absolutely amazing people. I met a lot of them at the gravel festival. So glad that they're out there and that they are, you know, doing the work and, and out there, but, but there are only only a few, you know, that are that are doing it. So I think that there are strides being made, but I think there's still a lot of work that that still needs to be done, both on the micro and the macro level. And so it's like really kind of tackling it from 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 both ends. It's interesting. Yeah, I think it's a good observation. Like, yeah, it's a total. It's totally valid. I mean, and it's. And I think part of it is like when this like the people that show up at the events a lot of times they're the ones that have that really outgoing like go-getter personality so then people get to know them they're like well then you should come to our event right and so then it's like like you said it becomes the same people all the time um and there's not like a how do we how do we increase that and not just say well i had so and so at my event um how do we do that I think some of it's going to be very grassroots kind of, of, of things. So some of it, honestly, it's building relationships. It really mm-hmm. is about starting at the foundation. And so, you know, it, it's going to be folks in the community, whether it's an event promoter or not, just kind of saying like, hey, I heard that there's this local cycling club. Can I just come to one of your meetings? And with no agenda other than just getting to know people. Because I think that's the other thing, too, is you have to be very careful that you're not going in and just kind of saying, come to our event. But just kind of saying, like, listen, as a white, heterosexual, cisgendered woman, I just want to know, like, how can I make things better or safer or tell me about you know stuff or just tell me about yourselves as 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 cyclists like it doesn't even have to be about challenges it's like where do y'all like to ride you know what makes those your favorite routes and just learning information and getting to know people and then kind of saying like hey can i ride with y'all next week then 
you know, and then building the relationship through, through that. And it, so it's really going to have to be much that level. And I heard somebody say something yesterday, last week I was um, speaking Mm -hmm. on a panel and someone talked about instead of going wide, going deep. And I really like that analogy so that maybe you focus on one community and it's really getting them, really getting to know them and them getting to know you and being a part of their community. But the idea is that that might be several seasons worth of work. And over time, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll come to Catherine's event. They, she good people. You know, because oftentimes that's kind of how we end up viewing folks is like, are they are they good folk? And it's like, oh, Christy, yeah, she's she's good people. Like if she says that this is a good ride or she says that this ride is okay for me to be on, I know that she's not going to give me something that's in over my head because there's going to be a ton of hills or it's going to be in this. I might lie about that. Whatever. (laughs) And also I might forget that there's hills on the route. So don't come ride with us. We'll come ride with you. No, no. No, I love that analogy though of the, of the going deep, Mm -hmm. because I think that's where in, in my experience, that's where the relationship truly grows. And that's where the empowerment, where it changes the shift mm-hmm. um, that then I would hope remove some of that tokenism that you're talking about, right? Like yeah. that's, you're now, you've now empowered this group to be who they are and they're in, and, and do what they do the best. Um, and it's, it's powerful it's a powerful shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the going deep allows you to also be able to sit in the uncomfortable part mm-hmm. because to do any of this, you have to be willing to do, um, to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I love this idea now also of that when you're doing that and you're having those conversations, because I mean, we all know we, we solve the world's problems on a bike ride, right? Every <laughs> single time when you're talking with people, like somehow we've ended up, we've ended, we've brought on world peace. We've come up with a curve for cancer, all of those things, you know, <laughs> while so creating that space, but then also with that being willing then to maybe sit in the uncomfortable truths, because oftentimes when people go into this work, what they want to do is they really want to sit in this beautiful lie where they can say, Hey, look at what we did and look at how many, you know, women we got to our event or this or that. And part of it also then is like, how many of them come back? Yeah. I think, I think that that other, the other angle of that too, Liz, is the level of trust that you end up developing, which allows you to be uncomfortable, you know, because you, because I think everybody gets to a place where they feel safe and that's where the real work can be done is when you feel like you've got these relationships that are based in trust and, and it gives you the opportunity to learn and grow without feeling, I don't know, um, threatened. That doesn't seem like the right word, but, mm-hmm. but where you can have those true relationships and be called out and called in at the same time. Um, Absolutely. You know, I think that's just a crucial part of all of this, of, of, of being uncomfortable is, is, you know, finding those places where you can do it and, and feel like the work's getting done. Sure. Because when you have that level of trust, 
you go into it knowing that that other person's intentions are not to harm you. Right. Um, that may not be the impact, but intention and impact are two different things. Two so it's like totally different things. Yeah. You know, but it's a very different conversation. If I kind of go, listen, I know you didn't mean for this to be hurtful, but it was. Or I know your intention was to do this, but this was the impact it had on people. It's a lot easier when you know that the intention was not to create harm and kind of saying like, so now we can talk about that, which is that that calling in piece as you know, as you you mentioned, you know, and all that then then creates that belonging, which again is, you know, a huge part of what I'm passionate about is that inclusion and that belonging part. Yeah. Tell me like why you love the word belonging so much. I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but why that word is because even when we were talking before, you know, when I was reading your notes before the podcast, mm-hmm. you said I, yeah. that, that belonging is really important. And, and I think that's a very important to me. It hits home. It's a very mm-hmm. important distinction. I think belonging is what allows it allows safety. It allows comfort. Um, it allows someone to be their true authentic self in those spaces and be accepted for, for, for that. It's just really what allows it. I think it's, it's that level of growth that we all strive for, because I think we all, all of us inherently want to belong in some way, shape or, or form. And, you know, even, you know, it's easy, especially in our angsty teens and our early twenties to be like, I don't need anybody. But the reality is we all kind of want to belong and, and fit in, in some way, shape or, or form, you know, and, you know, and without it getting too deep or anything, it's like, certainly I spent a good portion of my life, not belonging and, you know, standing out in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And so while that's positive in some respects, it's like, it also kind of sucks when you're a teenager and you just want to have friends. You know, and you want to do this sport and you just want to have friends or, you know, you want to have people to travel with to go to some of these events because they're expensive, you know. And so that belonging just brings so many elements to honestly a lot of what makes cycling a lot of fun because anybody can get on a on a bike and pedal. Well, okay, most a lot of people can get on a bike and pedal. Let me not make an ableist statement. But what makes a lot of times a bike ride amazing is the company that you have also on that ride. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like when you approach it from that way of um, idea of belonging, like it's easier to kind of put yourself out there too, right? Because when, you know, you're like, you, you get caught up in our own head of like, well, does this person really want to talk to me or be my friend? And they're like, actually, most people do. <laughs> and they're so excited when somebody like tries to initiate with them and get to know them. Um, so, um, and I really like all this too, because I think like sometimes it can be easy there, you know, some of the big events, they have resources to put to toward initiatives that can accelerate things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like people in their local community or small race directors or team are like, well, how do I do this? I don't have the same kind of resources. Um, and, and to just go, well, start by making friends, <laughs> you know? Um, you don't have to be able to offer like 200 slots to ride for a racial justice, which is an amazing thing, mm-hmm. right? But not every event can do that. Um, and so not having that standard of saying like, like 
to start with some relationships. Right, right. Yeah, I do think gravel cycling has to be very careful that the focus isn't just on can we get a diverse group in all these big events, you know, whether it's, you know, in Unbound or Steamboat Gravel or that, but then your local events, which are really the ones that are much more plentiful, still don't have that diversity because then that feels very incongruent. And that honestly then contributes that tokenism because it's like, okay, we're good enough to come to your marquee events, but. Yeah, I think that's where you're, you know, even even that exchange of joining different group rides, putting yourself out there as an event director or a lover of the sport, um, you know, showing up to a group ride that you typically wouldn't just to invite that group of people in, whether it's a group of people of color or whatever it is, just the fact that you're t- making the effort to just diversify your friendship group, period, can, yeah. can make a difference. So. Right. Absolutely. Reminding I mean, myself that I need to go on some more group rides. So, yeah, <laughs> check yourself. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, and it's unfortunate that you know most folks don't really know people that look different than they do. Yeah, you know, when you kind of say like, "How many diverse friends do you have?" and then you know, and it gets interesting because then conversation is like, "So, what do you define as a friend?" and you're like, "Okay, if you have to ask that question, then the answer is probably." You, you probably don't. But if you start off with something like, yeah, on a ride, that's kind of how you make a friendship. And it keeps it from getting creepy also where you're like, where the person's <laughs> like, what are you up to? Why are you? <laughs> I know. I'm always like, don't be weird. Like, just don't be weird with people. Don't be weird. <laughs> don't make or at least weird. be the harmless weirdo. <laughs> that's me, the harmless weirdo. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm all for letting your freak flag fly just but everyone's just kind of like okay but you know again they're good people and you just gotta let it go (laughs) our next t-shirt i'm good people yeah there you go (laughs) well i love all that and i think it's like really that's a really yeah yeah when you say that like we we can't like fall into tokenism i'm like you're right um we have to be really careful of that and, and always expanding our friendship circles. Um, so I really love that. I'm just sitting here thinking like, I mean, that's like, I think my biggest concern with like how we go into the 2023 race season, right? Like, because I don't want to see these initiatives um, go by the wayside, but I also want to see them develop and grow past just, you know, just the diversity aspect of it, but where it's really, we're really starting to get to, the true change happening like yeah and and that it sticks like that's that is now the culture that we have is that is that this is just what's expected versus yeah. you know moving past just the initiatives mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think as long as you're intentional about it it's going to come it's this to your point earlier you know oh yeah we, we did that we checked a box and we're we're moving on but as long as it's like intentional and, and some of it's even just as simple as promoting these these rides so it's like you know you have yeah. these social platforms and kind of saying <clears throat> hey did you know if you're in this town they've got this club and this club and this one and, you know and so like really kind of creating even a digital village so that if somebody is traveling or visiting an area that they have that ability to kind of know where some of these 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 groups are yeah well, and then like, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier before we started recording about 
you know, my run the other day where I was by a, a concert, a big, huge concert venue, and they had 12 marquee banners outside of it with all of them. There was only one woman featured on all uh, between all 12 of them. And I was just like, good grief. We've got to be doing this off the bike, too. This is exhausting. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like it, you see it. You just when you I, I think because I live in such a little a smaller bubble with this in the cycling community. And I do think we're largely doing some very intentional and good work in the space and really, really making a conscious effort and to step outside of that and then look up and be like, Oh my God, how is this even possible? How does this major concert venue literally have of the 12 music icons represented? Only one of them is a woman. Like, right. Well, I would say it probably happens because of the people that are making decisions. Yeah. <laughs> none or one of them are women. Right. A hundred percent. I guarantee you if I looked on that board or something, you're going to see that it's all male. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's where a lot of these really big blunders happen. You know, I think about a, an article that was printed in a magazine a number of years ago where they used a really offensive term. And it was one of those things where it's like, well, when you've got a room full of like, it was a racially offensive term and it's, it's an old slang term, but you know, when you've got a room of just non-people of color looking at everything, nobody is going to pick up on it. But then to the tokenism part, you can't put it all in one person either because that's a lot of emotional labor to always be like, all right, am I going to have to be the one? Is it going to be me? It's going to be me. I, I, you know, and that's, but that's also then why people don't stay in a lot of those organizations. Like there's an anatomy of it. It's like you come in and everyone's like, yay. But then you start pointing out and everyone's like, why are you so negative? Why are you always pointing things out? Why, you know? And so the person finally is like, yeah, I'm an idiot my, and you're not getting it. <laughs> well, and yeah. it's like, and my mental health's not worth it. Right. Yes. Right there. Bing. Yeah. 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 I think like we were kind of joking about there was an event. I'm not going to say which one. It'll be far past by the time this podcast comes out. But they they were not covering the women's field on their social media. And this has happened multiple times, right? Like they send somebody out on the course, they cover the men, they follow the men, and then they go back and they follow the women after the men have finished. And that is just like, <laughs> and like you said, it's a bunch of guys making that decision at the same time. Like it's time to think about those things, right? Like this happens every race, you know, that the women are behind the men every single race. Um, and you know, that it's like, it's not a conversation that we aren't having within cycling. And it matters because when people, and, and it like, this is going to just continue to grow as we create categories for para athletes and non-binary athletes, like those folks need to have a platform and visibility yep, they need to be as well. Um, and mm -hmm. so like, you've just got to be really intentional about who, who you are giving a platform to, um, through your, your events or your clubs or, you know, your local community, like, yeah. well, and I think that's part of it is like, so a lot of these gravel events, they, they are races, just like a traditional road race or whatever. And so the focus has always been on the winner and gravel, I think to its credit is somewhat trying to, at least some people in gravel are really trying to reframe some of that, but it's that stumbling block. So still it's a matter of the, yeah, we have to 
follow the front of the pack and get all those folks, which then ends up being the dudes and not thinking, but there's a whole nother race or races going on. And I know for me being a back of the packer, like even when I sat down and did the consultation for unpaid for their social media, I was like, listen, as a back of the pack person, I like to make sure that I also get them, the folks that are like maybe doing the shorter rides and making sure they're getting highlighted. Cause it's not just that it's everything. It's like, I have never once in any of the gravel events I've done ever, my picture has never made it to the gallery because I'm too far behind. And, you know, while I'm doing a lot of stuff on my phone for a gravel event, I still bring a camera with me. And even the fact that people could see me with my, my camera and taking shots of them, the amount of folks that were doing the 30 and the 50 milers that just thanked me for taking their picture was huge because they get used to no one's going to pay attention to me, you know, and sometimes that's where your best stories are. So like, I love at events, this kind of asking people, Hey, how's your day going? And so like the one young lady, it was her and her father. And it just happened. She was one of the few people of color at the event, but um, her father was white, but um, she was like, it's been fun. She's like muddy, you know, but it's like hearing talking. And then all of a sudden her dad's like, this is her first ever gravel event. And I was like, well, congratulations, you've already won. And she starts laughing and we start having this conversation about that. But that's not somebody who was like racing. This was somebody that was doing their first ever gravel event or, you know, their um, Pennsylvania had its first grinduro this spring. And the kid who ended up capturing everybody's hearts basically found a bike in the trash, got it roadworthy and did the full grinduro course. And it took him forever. I mean, he was beyond Lanton Rouge. <laughs> but, but, they a, but, but they made a point of when they did their podiums, they put him on the podium and they celebrated him. Yeah. And I swear he got the loudest cheers out yep. of everybody. And that's what graveling can be about. And that's what yep. it should be about. But you've got to get more promoters behind that, that like, yes, let's celebrate the winners. But like, if you finish it, you've won and you're out there and you're doing it. And who knows what that challenge is that everybody is, is, is having, whether it is a physical one, like with the Paris athletes or, you know, having a category for you with nine binary athletes or even some of our strongest racers. So like the three-time champion of unpaid Kelly Gatali talks also a lot about mental health awareness. Yeah. And speaks very openly about her, her, her mental health. And I think that also as a mental health professional, I think is, is beautiful. So it's like, yeah, she's physically amazing and she's still battling demons. And like, that's, to me, that's the story. Yep. And yep. so all these people have these stories, but we should be capturing all those, not just who was fastest wow. stepping down from soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah no I love it I actually have an article that I just posted on girls go gravel today about what it means to compete mm -hmm. uh, and that you know a lot of people like we see it in our Facebook we have a huge Facebook group people are like I'm not going to go to that I don't want to compete and like there is a definition of compete right that's like to win but also the original word came from to strive together and so it means to accomplish something together like to be with and so the majority of people at any event are there to do a cool thing with other people. That is their version of to compete. And I think like 
we just have to redefine what successful competition looks like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, I think we could talk to you forever yeah. <laughs> about this stuff. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to share with our audience before we go? It's a, I mean, you don't have to have some great words of wisdom. <laughs> good. No pressure. They would, be, they would be a little rough coming at this point, but no, I mean, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to, to continue these conversations. I think, I think if folks on the local levels really want to do this, this is, you're the ones, you know, the, the national stuff, the national conversations are great, but the local folks are really the ones that have the opportunity to make the true, beautiful, impactful change. You know, it's like the difference between being focused on local and national elections and it's really going to make the, 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 the difference. Um, and, you know, certainly if anybody on smaller levels also, you know, needs assistance or help with that stuff, I would love to be a part of as many of those conversations as, as possible, because this really bringing more diversity and inclusion and belonging to the outdoors truly is my, my, my passion. And I kind of see it as my life's work at this point. And so I want to be able to, to do that. And I want the communities to be able to do it. Like, I'd love to hear about how, yeah, I did this and yeah, our community is doing that. And we've got, you know, 80 women coming out every week on a weekly gravel ride. And, you know, we've got nine up binary folks and people of color and everybody's having a great time. And then we had this amazing cookout afterwards with like 20 different types of cuisine. And like, to me, like that's, that's where the party's at. Cause this is your next, this is your next venture. It's like Christy and I are like wheel spinning. I can see it. Okay. All 50 states. All right. This goes, this goes to gravel events around the country or cycling events around the country, putting on belong and a a belong. I I know somebody that might be able to get you into Kansas. (laughs) I'm listen, I'm, I'm, I'm there for, for all, all of that. Um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, corporate American life isn't forever. So I'm more than willing to, to move on. <laughs> you should go by that URL, the belonging tour.com. Um, <laughs> where can folks find you? Uh, so folks can find me on both Instagram and on YouTube under turtle wandering. I love that. Me too. Um, and then you also do social media for events. So if an event is looking for uh, somebody to come in and help them with social media for a race week or for throughout the event year, you're open to that. Yeah. Um, same thing. Feel free to um, message me through Instagram and then we can exchange information and we can kind of go from there. But yeah, no, I'd love to help out with the social media as well. Awesome. So appreciate that plug. Well, thanks so much for your time today. Really love this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.